All right, hey, welcome everybody. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. You guys doing good? Um, you guys fired up? All right, this is a, <coughs> a challenging Sunday for us preacher types because I know there's a little bit of a holiday malaise over us and, um, and we're uh, kind of fighting through that, but it is good to see you. Uh, there's no place I'd rather be than, than worshiping with you. Today's just going to be a simple Sunday. I have kind of a standalone message that I'm going to preach and then, um, and then we're going to respond in worship and communion and respond to God. But hey, how about giving it up for, uh, I think, well, they were here Christmas Eve, but we didn't get to recognize them because they snuck in like ninjas and we didn't see them until midway through. But um, about a week ago, up in West Point, Georgia, we uh, saw two become one in the spirit. Mr. and Mrs. Jeremy Orlich are now a married couple and they're sitting right there. How about it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're not uh, familiar with the world of Facebook, which is kind of the entertainment sensation that is sweeping the nation, um, uh, the Facebook, you know, you got this little status. It's your relationship status, right? And so it's a big deal that you update your relationship status from, you know, whether single or looking or <laughs> engaged or married. And I noticed after a week of being married that, um, that they had not updated their relationship status. And I, I mentioned that to Samantha this morning. I said, hey, Samantha. And she says, well, <laughs> that's a good sign because we've been doing other things than being around the computer. That's all I'm saying. So way to go, guys. Awesome. And uh, speaking, of, um, speaking of engagements, um, about, uh, about four months ago, I think it was, it was, it was early fall. Um, I was having lunch with uh, one of our guys here at the church. His name is Garrett Gross, um, and that's G-R-O-C-E, which he doesn't realize it. His brother and he don't realize it, but that's actually an old Italian name, so I call him Garrett Groce. But um, we were having lunch at uh, uh, the yogurt shop in town, and um, Garrett had ended about a five- or six-year career of being a professional baseball player. He had um, been in the Tampa Ray, Tampa Bay Rays organization and played baseball for a long time, was transitioning out of that into the real estate business. And we were having lunch and we were talking about all that God had done in his life and how um, a couple years before that, or really pre- pretty recently, God had really gotten a hold of his life and, and um, opened his eyes to his grace. And so Garrett and I were sitting over lunch talking about how good God has been to him. And he says, Brad, but you know, everything is going so good in my life. Everything. God has been so good to me. I feel a real peace about stepping out of pro ball and into the business world. And he says, but if I could just find a girl, if I could. And I said, Garrett, hold, hold your horses, brother. God is sovereign, not only in, you know, your salvation and your sanctification, but also in your, uh, in your marriage. And so uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't just a couple weeks after that. Uh, evidently, him and John Battistini were buddies. And John's wife, Sue is from this place called Louisiana, and um, went to school at this uh, little small technical school called Louisiana State University, where she had this friend. And um, this friend, who was living at Birmingham, happened to be visiting the Battistinis, and there's this little river up here called the Chattahoochee. I don't know if you know about it, but evidently the Battistinis were pulling up to uh, the, the Groches, where their river house was, and there was this lovely southern belle on the boat. I'm embellishing a little bit, if you can't tell. But word on the street is, is, that, um, is that Doug Duncan, uh, Garrett's father-in-law, hand, or, uh, stepdad, handed him some binoculars, and he was spying this girl out from the river, and his jaw hit the ground. Well, to make a long story short, um, to say that he was smitten would be an understatement, 
And these last three or four months have been rather fast and furious. And word on the street is that on Christmas morning, Garrett Gross got down on one knee and his, uh, his girlfriend, Delaney Coffey, became his fiance. And so they're sitting there in the back. Yeah. Give it. <laughs> I'm sorry, Delaney, you're about eight shades of red right now. I'm sorry. That's a... Hey, we've got some more good news. Um, this is just kind of a, you know, in between the Christmas and New Year Sunday. Um, we uh, heard a couple of days ago that Brandon and Amy Jenkins, who had have just given birth within the last year or so to twins. Well, Amy did it. Brandon was there. Um, but um, the, Brandon and Amy have two twin boys, and they just found out this week that they are going to have a third. Where are Brandon and Amy? I saw them. There they are. All right. So there we go. So, um, so uh, take some naps. Um, they're going to have three babies under the age of two, I guess. So, so it's going to be challenging. Lots of diapers. And then we learned last week, too, that uh, our man, we call him T-Sizzle, Travis Austin, and his bride, is she, she's, she's, she's sick. She, she's, yeah. Well, there's a reason she's sick. It's because um, we found out that Lindsay Austin is pregnant as well. So Travis and Lindsay are going to have their first baby. Yeah. All right. I, I think that's all that I know of that are new. I mean, evidently, you guys have stuff to do during the week. Um, but, hey, let me mention a couple things. Um, you know, uh, Reynold, before we get into the message this morning, Reynold mentioned Will taking the youth group, which has grown into a church ski trip. And I, I just, you know, he's in kids' church ministering to our kids right now, but I'm so thankful for that young man. He's a real, he and his wife, Karen Ann, are a tremendous blessing to our church. He is, his primary responsibility is our senior high and middle uh, high kids. But in this time where we're looking for a more permanent solution as far as a children's minister, um, Will is is stepping up and offering some leadership there. And so he's basically kind of overseeing everybody in the church that's high school and below. And, and so he's just doing a tremendous job, spends a couple Sundays a month in the kids' church ministering to the kids, just brings a whole bunch of enthusiasm. The kids love him. And uh, he's really, really blessing our church. And a lot of times it goes unnoticed. So I'm just so thankful for Will and our whole team. I just contemplated on this. You know, when you get to the end of the year, it gives you an opportunity to reflect on where we are as a church and how God has blessed us. And I'm just very thankful. I'm thankful for Reynold and, and his family and, and Paul um, and, and just how uh, steady and consistent and, uh, and humble and, and just selfless they have been uh, over these, these four and a half years that we have been doing this little redemptive project called Crosspoint, and uh, I'm just very thankful, very thankful. I know it kind of seems like it all just sort of goes, and in a sense it does, but there's a lot of folks who just really, um, really just do a lot behind the scenes, so I love you guys, and I'm very grateful. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas, and um, I was, I'm really sorry about that beast comment, Paul. Has, um, all right, Deuteronomy chapter 10 is where we're going to be. Um, Deuteronomy is the fifth book in the Old Testament. It's the last book of, of what the Jewish people would call the Torah or the Pentateuch. And if you didn't learn the, um, the books of the Bible song, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, it's the fifth book in the Bible. So if you, if you have a Bible, I hope you do, you open, it, open it up to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Today I'm going to preach a standalone message out of a really beautiful portion of Scripture there in Deuteronomy 10, starting about verse 12. But before we get into that and I read it, let me mention two things. Number one is that next Sunday um, I'm going to be 
um, talking about and kind of launching for January uh, this churchwide fast that I feel that God has impressed upon me to call us to as a church. And we're doing what's called a Daniel fast, and that comes from the Old Testament book of Daniel and the man Daniel, who in that book about his life and the nation of Israel at that time were in captivity. Remember, we studied Nehemiah for this fall, and we talked about the Babylonian captivity and then the Persian captivity. Well, Daniel was a young Hebrew boy along with several of his friends that were really excellent and kind of uh, cream of the crop. And they were taken into captivity by King Nebuchadnezzar. And as a response to um, King Nebuchadnezzar's attempts to indoctrinate him into Babylonian captivity and culture, Daniel stood up and said, no, I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to defile myself with your food and your ways. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast for 10 days. I'm going to eat nothing but fruits and vegetables. And he did that in Daniel chapter 1 for 10 days. And And that became a great witness of God acting on Daniel's behalf for him against this king. And so we're going to do a Daniel fast starting January 10th. And we're going to do it. We're going to have two different options. There's um, in Daniel chapter one, he fasted for 10 days. And then later on in the book, it alludes to the fact that he did it again for three weeks or 21 days. And so um, I'm going to encourage us as a church to to do what we can, and we're going to talk about it in much more detail next Sunday and have some materials to prepare you. But I'd like to call us to a fast as a church to seek the Lord starting January 10th for 10 days or for the remainder of January, which would be 21 days, and to try and abstain from from meats and just eat fruits and vegetables. Or if you have some you know, dietary condition where that just wouldn't be feasible for you to abstain from something, whether it be the television or internet or god forbid facebook or 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 something but here's the whole point we're we're going to talk about this next week is that we're not fasting to just go through some religious exercise or so at the end of january we can sort of hold it up and say okay god now you have to do something for us we're not using this as a bribe to god what we're doing is we're trying to clear our hearts to hear from him and to develop in our lives, in our church, and corporate, corporately and individually, a hunger for God. And so we're going to talk about that next week, but just want to give you a heads up about that. Also, then the following week, we're going to start a series of messages. We're going to be in the book of Colossians, and we're going to work our way through Colossians this spring, line by line, verse by verse. We were in Nehemiah all the way up until about a week or two ago, and we finished it. I hope it was fruitful for you. All those messages are on the Internet. And then the following week, not next week, we're going to talk about the Daniel Fest next week, but then the following week, January 10th, we're going to start Colossians and work our way through Colossians. Probably that'll go, it's a four-chapter book in the New Testament, and uh, we're going to work our way through it. And, and here's another little challenge I'm going to throw down at you. Um, we're, I think that memorizing the Word, I'm trying to memorize the Bible. That's one of my um, goals for this year is to memorize the Bible more. And I just thought, I just kind of had this this little Unction that maybe I could try and memorize the whole book of Colossians this spring. And so um, join me in that, if you will. We'll take it slow. And by the way, we did that with Philippians a couple years ago. I never finished it. But somebody visited the church during that time when, we, when I was trying to memorize Philippians. And I think they thought that like that was a requirement to be part of the church. And so it scared them away. Like, I'm not coming back there, man. I, they make you memorize the Bible and stuff like that. Um, so it, it, just if you're listening or you're here for the first time, this is not a requirement. It's just a little challenge, a little um, something we're trying to do. So um, be reading through Colossians, and uh, then we'll, we'll crank it up in a couple Sundays. All right, you guys ready? 
Okay, let's go. Colossians, or I'm sorry, Deuteronomy. I'm jumping ahead. Excited already. Deuteronomy chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 12. Uh, are you are you the type of people that do um, New Year's resolutions that you write out lists? Are you? Did anybody go buy a gym membership and you, and and you have it right now, but you're waiting until January 1st because God forbid that you get ahead of schedule. Is there, are any of you, do you have are you the type of people that do? Are you resolution type people or not? Do you have a list? Do you, I, okay, I'm all for that. I think that's a great thing. I think we should have goals. But uh, what we're going to talk about today is is what these goals should sit on. In fact, before we jump ahead into kind of writing out a little list, I want to, you know, reduce my debt or I want to, you know, in fact, I, 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 this were about a month ago, I was thinking about two goals for me physically. I'm, I'm, I'm about to be 39 in a couple weeks. And that seems kind of crazy. And by the way, my folks are here from the nation of California. They're sitting right down there in the front. And do you realize mom and dad that your baby boy is going to be 39 years old. And so um, I have a little bit of an insecurity about some of the young guys in our church. And there was a time when I could physically dominate Fincher. Those days are long gone. And so I feel like I wanted to get back in shape. And I wanted, one of my goals is by this summer to be able to run a mile in like six minutes. And, and, and then maybe to like bench press a certain amount of weight or something. And so we start to get all these goals. These are good things. But, but, but here's a question we often breeze past. And this is the title and the theme. And the only thing I want us to grab a hold of today is, what does the Lord require of us? That's the question I want us to ask today. What does the Lord require of us? And we're going to look at that question in Deuteronomy chapter 10. And some thoughts from Moses. Deuteronomy is basically a compilation of sermons from Moses to the nation of Israel before he is about to pass away. He knows that his days are numbered. He knows that he's likely not going to take the people into this promised land that he, has, that he has led them. He's led them through out of Egypt into the desert, across the Red Sea, into the desert, wandering. And he knows that his days are numbered. And so he's delivering his final sermons. And what he's doing is he's trying to develop in the people a heart for God, not just an exterior adherence to the law that, he, that God gave him and then he gave to the people, but a heart for God. And so... He asked this question. In fact, God asked it through him. What does the Lord require of you? So let's read before we do that. Let me pray and ask God to help us. Lord, thank you for, for your word, for the ability to sing songs that we can gather, that we can open up your book, that we don't take for granted that we have the scriptures. There are house churches in countries in this world that are living in places where the gospel is not free to be preached and you are not free to be worshipped, and they're underground now, and they're working off of just a page of a gospel. And we have a plentitude of, of Bibles all over the place and all sorts of translations, pretty covers and, and gold lace. And so, God, would you help us in this moment as we open up these words, would you... Would you give us a humility and a reverence for your word? That the God of all the universe, beyond the universe in fact, you chose to disclose yourself to us through these words. And that is amazing. And so God, as we brush through one holiday and into a new year, and as we gear up, and as we 
so easily fall into the cycle of being busy, arrogant Americans. God, would you settle our hearts into this question of what are you requiring of us? And Lord, I have a few thoughts, but certainly with every life that's represented in here, there are a thousand different things that you are wanting to pinpoint in our lives. So would you go beyond my feeble words and would you help us to examine our lives and let the Holy Spirit speak to us? And then I pray, God, that it would cause us to respond in worship and awe and adoration of you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. And by the way, as I'm thinking about it, before I read it, um, our, our intern here at Crosspoint, Robert Ward, who's a student at the University of Georgia, has a blog that he's going to be doing in January. I'm throwing this out there publicly to put a little pressure on him. He's going to be blogging through the Old Testament about how we see Jesus in the Old Testament. And the name of that blog is J.C. in the OT. Yeah, baby, creative. All right, so check that out. We'll have that on our website, and you can, uh, you can read that daily. Is it daily or weekly or whatever? A little pressure, Robert. Never hurt anybody. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 12. This is Moses speaking. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Let me stop there and say that the first thing that I think God is requiring of me and of you today is is to break out of a sense of, of pragmatism and functionality and to push away from life for a second and to, to, to have a sense of awe and wonder and worship of God. This, this scripture is saying through Moses to the Israelites is that, yes, God has given Israel some laws. In fact, Moses is recounting the time when, he, when God gave him the law, and then they, in response to that, just built a, uh, made a golden calf, and then God had to redo it. And God has all the while been working with this rebellious people. And see, the thing about God giving a law and about us just getting in a functional world is that it, you know, we can kind of make a go of a religious system, can't we? Because we can abide by rules and we can become sort of good exterior Christians. And much of what, what we've boiled Christianity down to in modern day America is just kind of a list of rules, isn't it? You know, kind of don't, you know, don't, don't go to rated R movies or at least don't tell any Christians that you're going to rated R movies. And, and, you know, don't drink and, you know, Kind of do that funny little thing when you're with somebody that maybe is not a Christian and try and slip grace in there if you're sharing a meal with them. And don't we get kind of funky? You know, we just, we just, we're very good at being people who cling to an exterior law without developing this sense of awe and wonder in God. And what God is saying is, is to Israel, and I believe he's saying to us, is that he wants us to just be people that just say, just say, wow, like God is far, far bigger and far more amazing than we could ever imagine. But in America, we just live in, don't we live in this, this culture where we want something that works, right? Like we want, we want God to help us live a better life. And I know that sometimes I rail against what is on the market for Christians to read the devotional literature. It's all sort of geared towards us having a better life or a more functional way or seven steps on how to have a better marriage or better blessing. And all it is is like God is this, this sort of, 
moralistic deism in in the heavens that's just sort of there to sort of bless us so that we can be better Americans. And what that does is it sucks our ability to truly worship God. Just to worship Him and to take awe and reverence and and to to thank Him for who He is. And so before we rush off into our lists this new year and before we, we crank up how to live a better life, I want to be a person that just thanks, just thinks and spends some time worshiping God for who he is. Verse 14, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Verse 15, Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. What he's saying is, is that he's saying to Moses, to the people, he's saying that you are my people, not because you had anything that was noteworthy in you, but you are my people because I chose you. Like Israel, early on in Deuteronomy, it says there was nothing special about you. In fact, you were the least of all the people, and I chose you the least of all the people so that through you, my name would be great. And the Old Testament and the nation of Israel and their election and selection and chosenness by God is a picture of the individual Christian in our age, election and selection and grace given to us before we have any sense given to us. It is a picture of our lives. And so if the first thing that I think this scripture tells us is that we should take time to to have awe and wonder and worship in God is that we should have tremendous humility about the fact that we're even here today and are even Christians, if you're a Christian. I know I harp on this a lot, and for some of you it's a little bit of a sensitive issue. But, and it's not a requirement for salvation, it's not a requirement to be part of this church. But I do think it's an important issue that you must wrestle with, wrestle with, and it's the sovereignty of God in salvation. Look, I am not a Christian because I figured it out. I am not a Christian because I'm smarter than the guy down the street. I was a pretty decent kid. I was a kind of Chevrolet, American apple pie, did my thing, had some issues, some stuff that my parents didn't know about. But I was, I, was a, I was an A student, decent little athlete, but I was lost. Like, I was in rebellion against the creator of the universe. I was spiritually dead. And just as Israel was nothing to take note of, neither was I. And God, God, like, God rescued me. And if you're a Christian... God rescued you. Now, how he does that, he does that a million different ways and a million different people. For Paul, he knocks him off his horse in Acts chapter 9. For other people, he woos them over years. For other people, it's through a quiet conversation. For some people, it is like a lightning bolt. But whatever, however you came to Christ, if you were a Christian, it's not because you are a good little Baptist kid who grew up in Columbus, Georgia. And it's not because your grandma founded First Methodist or Second Presbyterian or Fourth Humana Humana. And I skipped third, but you know what I'm talking about. I don't care. It's because God works through human means to pour grace on your heart. And why, why is that important? Because Americans are intrinsically arrogant people. And we need to remember that it is God who saved us. We didn't save ourselves. 
And the very fact that we live in this country is because of the providence and the grace and the goodness of God. And what we do in our culture, and we're so quick to run off to it, is just to worry about how we can improve our lives and not realize that God in his gracious goodness, if you are a Christian, has poured his grace on you and made you alive, as Ephesians 2 says, while we were still dead in our trespasses. I am the most arrogant person I know. And I am in constant need of reminder of how God saved me because it produces and pushes me towards humility, towards God and towards others. God chose Israel. God chooses us. Now how he does that is so mysterious. And there's a thousand, there's a million There's innumerable, as many different people as are Christians or how many different ways he does that. But he moves upon the dead human heart and he breathes you to life. Why is that important? Because at the end of the day, you cannot look back and say, I did this. I did this. God, the whole point of God saving you is not just for you. That's secondary. It's for his glory. And so I need to be reminded. You see, I've been a Christian for about 20 years now. I remember this moment. March 16th, 1989, when I truly heard the gospel and I knew I needed to respond. I grew up in church all my life, but never truly heard the gospel. That moment that I truly became a Christian, then you kind of go for 20 years and it's just so easy to kind of think, well, this is sort of my birthright, right? I mean, I'm I'm born, I'm I'm an American, I'm a Westerner, this is what I do. No, God, God rescued me, he rescued you, he rescued Israel. And we need to remember that. And I think it's tremendously important and guys if you disagree with me on how that shakes out in your life fine but if nothing else let it produce humility in you you are not a christian because you're smart and southern and living in the bible belt and it should produce humility and awe in us verse 15 yet the lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them you above all peoples as you are this day therefore check this out verse 16 circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn like you know this whole deal about circumcision in the old testament and you guys know what that is right i don't need to draw any but but the most of the circumcision that we talk about is not of the heart it's of it's of another it's of another part of the body. That's all we're going to say about that. But you see, that's not truly the circumcision that God is after. He's not just after some exterior flesh. He's after some interior heart. And so what he's saying is because I have done this on you, because I am above the heavens, Brad, and because I'm not just some pragmatic moralistic system, but because I truly am the creator of the universe, and I came upon you when you weren't even looking for me, therefore, don't be stubborn and soften your heart towards me. Don't be arrogant. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Verse 17, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. I just think about how often I try and put God in my debt. You know, don't we do that? Oh, God... I mean, I, I mean, I, I just read the first five verses of this passage. I, I know you created the heavens and everything, but don't you know I planted a church a couple of years ago, and I've got a couple hundred people coming to it. <laughs> and um, hey, you know, Crosspoint, you know what? We're pretty generous. I mean, we 
we give away 10% of our income. And in fact, just the other day, um, we had Dr. Thomas come from Hope Givers. And I, I mean, I don't know if you were paying attention, Jesus, but we actually gave thousands of dollars away to them. I mean, <laughs> God, surely, surely you need more churches like us, don't you? Surely, God. Did, uh, by the way, did you hear that, that one sermon in the Nehemiah series? I don't even remember the title of it, but surely you do, God. It was so good. I mean, don't we just try and put God in our debt with our little offerings? What's it look like in your life? Right? What's it look like? I don't know. God, I'm up to three out of four Sundays now. (laughs) I mean, I don't know what it is. You know, for me, it was moralistic righteousness. Did I tell you I canceled HBO? Anyways, so, yeah, I'm a pretty good guy. We can't put God in our debt. Now, does God want us to live for him and strive for him? Of course. But do you realize how remembering how he saved us and the fact that he moves on our heart should produce a humility in us and God's not up there to have a carrot dangled in front of him so that he might act on our behalf, but he desires deeply to bless his children because he's gracious, not because we are good. Verse 18. He executes justice. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the sojourner. I love that word, sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Verse 19. Therefore, love the sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. What he's saying is, is that God saved you out of Egypt. He miraculously brought you out of Egypt made ten plagues come upon these people, opened up a body of water, let bread and birds fall from heaven to feed you, and he did this for you. You were once that. Now you, that I have blessed you, now you be a blessing to other people. So love the sojourner. Therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Verse 20. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. Verse 21. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Verse 22, and we end with this. Your fathers went down to Egypt 70 persons, and now the Lord, your God, has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. What he's saying is is that at the end of the book of Genesis, when Israel was whittled down by a famine and in great trouble and in sin... The sons of Jacob sold his, the young son Joseph into slavery. And through God's providence and sovereignty, Joseph becomes the leader, the prince of governor of Egypt. And then he receives years later his starving family to himself as a blessing and receives these brothers who sold them out. He says, you were just 70 people now. And now you've been through all of this and I have blessed you and prospered you. And it makes me look back on my life specifically this past year, and say, God, you've blessed me. You've blessed us. And so before we rush into a list in 2010 and another little hamster wheel, I think that God wants to say, be a people in awe of me. Worship me. I, I I don't want circumcision of the flesh. I want circumcision of the heart. I want you to... Take a moment to breathe and take in the greatness and the grandeur that is God. Enjoy. Enjoy. I had a conversation. My parents and I were driving 
around Columbus looking at a few things yesterday, and we all did a little psychoanalysis on each other. Um, I psychoanalyzed my mom, and she psychoanalyzed me, and we didn't get to my dad, so we're going to take a drive this afternoon and, and, and tear him apart. But um, what, what, what I realized about myself is that, is that one of the things that I rarely do in life is, I guess it's because I'm insecure and self-absorbed and performance-driven. I just never, like, I never take time to enjoy and, re- like, w- like, truly worshiping God and, like, actually taking that in and enjoying Him and reflecting and basking in His presence and just saying, oh, God, you are amazing. is very difficult for me because I'm always worried about how I'm going to figure out the next thing because, really, I'm worried about how a lot of people are going to, feel about my leadership in the next thing. And so it produces in me a scurrying and a restlessness and an inability to just sort of enjoy the moment and say, God, you're good. You're good. And so maybe that's you today, and we just need to stop feeling this pressure to be Southern Bible Belt Christians and get through a church service. And we need to just worship God. And maybe we're arrogant, not intentionally. I mean, nobody in here thinks, I did it. But we just become so arrogant in our salvation, and maybe God wants to humble us. And then God wants to use us to bless the sojourners, not create a church for just a couple hundred people. Oh, we've got a good sense of the Bible. Yeah, we preach out of the scriptures. Oh, we sing good songs, and boy, we give away money, as if that would put God into our debt but that we would be a group of people, individuals and corporate, that love the sojourner, that let God's blessing run through us out to others. Well, let's pray. God, I um, I thank you for for these words that you moved upon Moses to write. Lord, we as Americans are incredibly pragmatic people. We like what works. One of our demigods is efficiency and functionality, and we, we so often worship at the altar of practicality. And although, God, there's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves, when we let them tune our hearts away from you and drag us away from stopping for a moment and truly worshiping you with a sense of awe and wonder, it becomes an idol. God, I confess that I am just so easily drawn away the next thing because I, I just I wanna I wanna get stuff done, I wanna accomplish it, I wanna look good, I wanna succeed. I want good things to be said about me. I want to I want to finish it. And often that cuts undercuts my ability to as Moses said to love you with all my heart and soul. So God, before we rush off into 2010, would you help would you help me for a moment just to quiet my heart, my impatient, scurrying heart before you? And God, would you, would you produce in me and in us a deep and pervasive humility? God, there's, there's, really, there's no difference between us in our own merit and the person across the ocean or in the Middle East or 
in the third world country who has never heard about you. So God, would would you help us realize that you are the one that saved us. We did not save ourselves. And so God, the fruit of that should be should be deep humility. God, would you work that in us now as we prepare to sing to you and receive communion and pray. And God, as we as we also prepare practically for 2010, would you would you help us love the sojourner? Would you make our grip very loose on the things that you have given us? so that it would flow through us to others, so that what you've given us when we were sojourners and lost and without you would, would flow through us to other people who, who need you. God, we thank you for 2009, but we look forward to 2010 with great expectation. Not that we're going to live better lives with better lists and better tasks, but that we would be humble that we would be in awe of you and that you would use us to bless the sojourner. Lord, I pray that you do these things by your spirit. Now in the many different situations that are represented in this room, God, would you move with your Holy Spirit and would you cause us to respond and worship to you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you guys are going to lead us in a couple songs, let's, let's all stand. You don't have to stay standing. that will help us begin worship and response. If you want to receive communion on your own, this is what we do here at Crosspoint every Sunday. We remember Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. This Sunday is just optional for you to come as you want, and you can partake of the elements yourself. We've got some little kneeling benches there for you to pray on. This is a real important thing to us. It's not just kind of something we do because it's on Sunday, but it represents Jesus' broken body and his spilled blood. And it's a time when we examine our lives and we remember his sacrifice on the cross. So you're free to do that. If you're a believer in Jesus, we welcome you to receive that meal on your own as you were led. If you need prayer for anything, come and let's, let's, let's be prayed for. Let's ask God to help us. And then I want to also encourage you to worship God in these next 20 minutes or so and just open up. Let, let the sense of awe come upon you, whether that means that you lift your hands or whether that means you sit back down in your seat and put your face in your hands and just cry out to God. Whatever it means, let's, let's actually lean forward and respond to God together. Let's do it.